Welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truth. It's your co-host, Jenny Scott, here with Dan the Man Duran. How are you, Dan? I am doing great, Jenny. Uh, I am excited about our guest today. I, I actually had an opportunity to meet with our guest a few months ago. I bought his book. Nice. Uh, you know, you can't see it. It's a podcast. I'm holding it up to the screen, so y'all can't <laughs> see it right now, but it's really pretty and it's blue. And uh, we'll hopefully talk more about that. So I am just really excited to learn more from our guest, Tim, today, Jenny. Absolutely. And uh, strength and conditioning is like literally my favorite thing in the world because when I leave ISSA or even before I come to work at ISSA, that's what I do, whether it's with college athletes or with kids. So I'm stoked to hear more from our guest because he has a whole lot more experience than I could ever hope for. So I know I'm going to be learning a lot today. Um, but Dan, since you've met our wonderful guest, how about you do the honors and introduce him to our, our listeners? Oh, all right. All right. All right. We have Tim Karen. And uh, Tim is an experienced strength and conditioning coach with a strong background in the science of performance health. Uh, he's worked with elite athletes and top college football, uh, football programs, including the Army at West Point. Being nice. the head strength and conditioning coach there, isn't that cool? He has a bachelor's degree in mathematics and movement science from Westfield State College, which means he's really smart. And two master's degrees in exercise science and performance enhancement and injury prevention. He's also the co-founder and head coach of Allegiant Gym. Did I say that right, Tim? Is it Allegiant? Yeah, it, it was a made-up word, and it's a really funny backstory in that, but you nailed it, Dan. All right, all right. So well, that's funny. I remember looking at this outline like of our episode and reading your bio, Tim, and I was like, Allegiant? Is that a real word? Isn't it Allegiant? <laughs> I was like, I feel like that's not a word, but I didn't want to say anything. I'm glad nope, you did. Nope, it is are right. Now. Trust him. <laughs> it is now. Yeah, it is now, right? <laughs> so, so Tim, can you tell us more about your journey and how you got started in fitness and, and got to where you are now, including co-host uh, hosting a podcast, I believe? Yeah, yeah. So you know, let's go all the way back to the math degree. Uh, one of the things I learned really quickly was I don't want to do math for the rest of my life and teach it <laughs> to high school kids, uh, here, here. which you know, I've kind of taken that with me for everywhere I've gone is thinking about, well, at least I'm not teaching high school math right now. Uh and then just, I mean, you guys can relate. Like, you shoot, there was a point in like the late 90s, early 2000s where you're like, I don't know if this is a real profession. Like, right? Like, I think there was a lot of like unknown. Um, it's definitely a lot more of a thing now. But back then, shoot, you go to college and you're like, I'm not going to get a degree in exercise science or anything of that note because what's the actual like job of that? But I remember doing my student teaching. And I just didn't like it, didn't enjoy it. And one actually was doing student teaching at my high school I went to when I was I was in high school. And one of the bigger influences on my life, the one who's big mentor, was like, I want to do this. This is awful. It doesn't look like it's getting any better. It's like, all right, well, that's a pretty big, like, you know, aha epiphany moment. So I went online and looked at our school's website. And this is like early 2000, so it's very beta. And you find like the Westfield State movement science. And I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know if it was extra science, science. I didn't know if it was kinesiology, biomechanics, ex-phys. Like it was just a very broad term that 
all right, let me just go in there and see what this would actually entail and what would I have to do to get a degree in this and what could I actually gain from it? And I remember like sending an email to the movement science professor who's in charge of the whole department and named Dr. Pearson. So, hey, I'd like to just come by and just ask about the major, uh, see if I can get enrolled. And I remember going in her office. She's like, you just finished a degree in math. What are you doing? And I was like, well, I don't want to teach. And if worse comes to worse, I can become a teacher and know a whole lot more about my training programs that I'm writing for myself. And maybe I can become a high school strength coach for the football program I'm working at. Like, I don't know. She's like, I just, you just go in the opposite direction, in my opinion. And you got to think about the time too and why she would say that, right? What's the potential outlet here? Like maybe you could go into like a, a group exercise instructor at like a, a corporate job or a corporate wellness job. You know, maybe you can kind of get like a cardiac rehab job. We were very affiliated with ACSM. So we all had to get, at the time it was called HFI. So we had to go through the full like YMCA bike test, the full X-Fizz like breakdown and sit for the test. So you can go into a cardiac rehab center or something of that note. Um, and then you kind of go through the process of like, oh man, what is the actual outlet here? I was like, well, either way, I'll delay the inevitable. So you go through that. And to be honest, Dan, you mentioned like must be really smart. Like I just think I have a really good work ethic and I struggled in math. Like I, I assumed memorization in high school would translate into understanding in college. It just didn't, right? Like I was good at like memorizing what I needed to do for a, a basic math test in high school and then just got overwhelmed and just honestly destroyed in a college math program. But then it got into the exercise science kind of more realm or movement science, as we called it Westfield. And I just was found it just resonated with it. And it's a really, really like detailed oriented major. And there's a lot of variables. And the way we structured it was we had to go AMP one and two. We had to go X phase. We had to go biomechanics. We had to go kinesiology. We had to go motor learning. There was not like a, like, a very simple course in there, but I found I'm much more apt and prone to it because I was way more interested in it. It was way more, found it way more compelling. So the labor of memorizing every bone and tendon and ligament and muscle in the body, I was like, I actually really enjoy this. So the, the, the time it took to memorize that, like versus math, I was just like, ah, I just really struggled because I wasn't that interested in it or compelled to do it. And I found like everyone else was really struggling with it. And I was like, oh, wow, I just conditioned myself over the last four years to just go through really hard things and really embrace that challenge. And I just, I got a lot of confidence from that. I was like, well, you know, let's see what happens. And then you start going the routes of like, what are your career outlets from this? And, you know, at the time they're like, hey, go do these site visits at corporate wellness spots, at um, cardiac rehab spots. So I visit a bunch of high school, I mean, a bunch of um, hospital settings and a bunch of like these like big corporate jobs. I remember going to their Hartford and all these big insurance firms with like thousands of employees and just put this corporate wellness job in the bottom. Every place I did a site visit, if I showed up in khakis and a polo and looked somewhat presentable, I got a job offer, which was like, this is interesting, you know, like I literally <laughs> got, and I took every job. Like I was not like, I can work these two days. Can you take me on there? Like, yeah, come on in. And so I had like five jobs pretty much by the time it was all said and done. And like the health and fitness space was like, all right, maybe I got something here. Maybe I can be good at this. And then I started thinking about, well, do I really want to do corporate wellness or, or cardiac rehab? Not really. It doesn't really excite me. Not saying there's any like bad side of that too. It's just, I don't know. It just didn't want to like resonate with me. It wasn't where I was at personally. So I started looking at the college sector and what does that entail? And like, I never had a background in strength conditioning in high school myself. Like I was just kind of doing bodybuilding stuff. And then you send an email, a cold email to some of these colleges or other places. And I was like, no, no experience, no experience, no experience. We can't take you. And I happened to have this like uh, private training facility called Velocity Sports Performance open up down the road. 
just shot my shot. And I went in there and said, Hey, I'd love to volunteer. I know nothing. Whatever you ask me to do, cleaning the bathrooms, I don't care. I just want to get in here and do something. And man, I just got so exposed. And going back to the math degree, going back into anatomy, physiology, all the way through to motor learning, biomechanics, like I embraced that. And I never did an agility ladder. I never did anything for speed progressions or Olympic lifts or plyos. I just bodybuilded, right? You know, and going into that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm starting from square one. So I'd get in there a couple hours early, practice everything. And my ultimate true test was if they asked me to demo, like some of the drills or the progressions we had, would I look like crap or would I look like an idiot? That was my indicator. Like, am I doing a good job? And sure enough, every time I was like, okay, you got it. Like, start demo. Tim, you go do it. Like, or eventually turn to Tim, you just leave the session and start to finish. I was like, okay, again, like hard work's paying off. And then I parlayed that to get some other college internships. I went to Harvard, actually interned at Georgia Tech, went to Old Miss, got a graduate assistant position at Springfield College, located in Massachusetts. And then I ended up getting my first job at Georgia Tech. And then Worked there for four years, worked at USC for four years, and then Army West Point for three. And here I am now, a gym owner in Southern California with over, I mean, almost 12, 13 years of college trade conditioning experience and now six years of a private gym owner experience. That's awesome. So first of all, Tim, so glad you clarified your bachelor's degree. Is it two degrees that you earned or was it a major? Yeah. See, because yeah. I thought mathematics and movement science, I was like, is that? No, no, not like a combo while you major. do movement. Yeah. <laughs> I was like Van Wilder before Van Wilder. Yeah, I was definitely there for like six and a half years. I remember my dad saying too, of like, yeah, you're gonna have to figure out how to pay for that to four years. I'm not gonna support like going pretty much like pursuing a hobby based degree. I'm like, sure enough. So that's why I needed all those part time jobs. I was paying as I went. You know, I was like, I was just hustling. Right? I was commuting to school. Like, yeah, sun up, sun down. I was like a ghost for those like two years. I was getting my second degree at four a.m. Wake up, work a corporate wellness job. So like 7 a.m., go to school, come back at like 12, work at like a day job, or like a desk job somewhere on campus, finish up a little school, go do my internships, and then do like a nighttime job. If that's that, go home, start all over again. Wow. And well, end up working out though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing though too, right? Like, and this is what I talk about with our young coaches here. Find that job that you'd be willing to do that for. And mm-hmm. like, I knew this is what I want to do because it wasn't a problem. I never felt like this is too hard. This is too much. And this isn't like one of those things of like, you know, I used to walk 10 miles to school uphill and snow every day. Like, <laughs> it's not. It's just like someone worked hard. And I think we can all like agree with the sentiment. Someone worked hard in our life to have the opportunity to be able to pursue something that was a passion or a hobby and make it your profession. And we could get a degree in it and we could work in it. And like, I don't take that for granted. Like my father was one of the first, was the first person in our family to go to college. So it was like literally the second person in our family to go to college. And I'm thinking about like, Man, this guy went to Vietnam. This guy went to college after the fact, became an engineer, whatever, like the whole thing. But like his hard work and dedication allowed me to do that. And then I found a job that like, I don't care if I get up at 4 a.m. and I'm not getting home till 10 p.m. Like, and I'll do that six, seven days a week. And that's the job when you're working in the college sector. It's like your life is completely uprooted and and just gone. Like it's 100 percent focused on the job. And it's like, yeah, there's always these down moments and these moments like I'm just really tired. I don't feel appreciated. But overall, the good outweighs the bad because you found what you really wanted to do and you're destined to do and find that. Just go out there and find it. It doesn't have to be strength conditioning. It doesn't have to be exercise science. It could be anything. But once you find it, you know, it's it's super easy. It's really enjoyable and you're doing what you love. Here, here. I tell people that all the time. When they hear my schedule, their eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, but guess what? First things first, it's all voluntary. I don't have to do any of it, right? But I choose to because I love the heck out of it. And yeah. it wouldn't change any day of my week at all. So I love that, Tim. Thank you for sharing that. Can you 
tell us a little bit about your experience working with some of these elite athletes at some of the top college programs out there for football. So the best way I can kind of describe it, it's depending on, you have two worlds, right? So I have Army West Point and let's say a school like Preville College or even high school where your impact from a strength conditioning perspective, like how, how skilled you are as a, as a programmer, as a coach, as someone who's creative with solutions and leveraging your equipment and your tools is really invaluable versus a place like Georgia Tech or USC, which higher caliber athlete, more talent, your skill at communicating, your skill at organizing, your skill at motivating people is more of a necessity. And what you, what you yeah. realize in these environments, and this is something too of like, I'm kind of like my personal like uh, thing I want to champion and just go out there and body is like, you know, some of the best coaches and some of the best, most talented people I've ever met in my entire life have been college transition coaches. And like, I've met them all. Like I've met people who are millionaires. I've met people who are just really, really savants in a lot of areas, like brilliant people. Like one of my college professors was this guy who had dual doctorates in computer science and mathematics from Harvard and MIT. Nice. I met them. I met these people. I know them. I've not talked to them intimately. And I'm not saying I'm on their level, but I'm telling you, the college transition coaches I worked with are on par from a talent and skill perspective with anybody else I've ever met. And you realize they are social, social and you know, people like geniuses. They know how to adapt themselves to that environment. And you have to. Because yeah. if I'm at USC, you know, the reality is, and I, I hate that narrative when they talk about, oh, you got Ferraris, you wouldn't do anything with the Ferrari. Like, yes, I would. I absolutely would. I would make the suspension better. I would make it more durable. I'd make it more fuel no. efficient. Like versus like I'm at, you know, quote unquote, lower school and I have a bunch of Pintos like, oh, well, you got to work really hard. Like it's not that binary. It's not that simple. Like I'm still trying to improve performance, but just it's more weighted towards can I communicate effectively to this athlete that doesn't really need it? Like, right. Like the athletes we had at USC, they're going to be fine with or without my skill from a programming and strength conditioning perspective. Mm -hmm. Versus an army, like they really needed me to be good, but I need to be better to meet them where they were at because they could be good regardless of what we did or didn't do at USC versus an army. I need to be really good. And I actually got really tested on that. So I find that experience working with elite level athletes is you got to be more socially agile and you got to be really good. And the joke we talk about with, you know, so Jenny, you called me up, like, I really want to work with elite level athletes. And I said, okay, what's your why? Like, I, I really want to help people. Like those two are congruent, like from the way you're thinking about it, right? You're thinking about like your margin of difference you can make for an NFL athlete capable of making millions of dollars is this small from a strength conditioning performance setting versus the gen pop people I'm working with on a daily basis. It's immense. Like that person who's struggling to come in three days a week to lose weight, to feel better about themselves, to have more self-confidence, to be able to do these basic things that we take for granted. My opportunity to help them is tremendous. So mm -hmm. if you're going to tell me, hey, I really want to help people, help people. If you want to work with elite level populations, just be competitive in the most challenging environment you can imagine, that's different. Not saying you're not helping them. It's just a different definition of help. And what you could do to for that person, relatively speaking, for that other person that really needs your expertise and your guidance and your and your motivation and your your ability to triangulate their wants and needs, like that's a lot of different stories so i can leverage that too now with my background because i'm working with gen pop most on a predominant basis and i know what i'm doing for them really matters but i also know what i did with the elite level populations really matters but i also know what my scale of impact was and that's something as i start to look back and 
retroactively look at my roles everywhere I'd been, I think it really came down to how socially agile I was and how skilled I was and figuring out which one weighed more. Yeah. And that's a great point that you're making, Tim, for people that want to go into strength and conditioning, especially thinking higher level athletes versus, you know, high schoolers or middle schoolers. Because to your point, the way that you communicate with a middle schooler is going to be very different than a high schooler, very different than a college athlete or a, like a D1. For example, my schools are NAIA. It doesn't mean they're any less of an athlete, right? Some of them transfer out and go to D1. Um, but it's just a different environment. We have different equipment, to your point. We don't have like the huge old weight rooms that USC and you know Cal have and stuff like that. So we have to make do with what we have. But you're right, it's a different environment. But for those people who want to go in working with those higher level groups like you have, you make a really, really great point. It's not about helping people, right? It's You have to look at the human body and be like, I can make the human body do more, right? Even if you come in good, I can make your suspension better, right? I can make your horn bump better, right? Maybe it's just something small. I can make your window not creep when it rolls up and down, right? But we can focus on different things and it's a completely different mindset to your point when you work with those higher level athletes versus kids where you're like, all right, guys, today we're going to change direction, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I talk to my little kids because they get that, right? I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, focus on changing direction. And then you get them to focus on that. Do that with a college kid and they're going to look at you and be like, who are you again? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's some of the things too I talk about with our coaches that work with me. And I'm like, how do you evaluate a good or a bad day? Like, what is your diagnostic there? And, you know, in the college setting, like, there's just a lot of things that can say, I can just arbitrarily say I'm doing a good job. And I had a really interesting seat or office at USC. It was a window and I could see the entire weight room. So I saw every program going on, regardless if it was football or whatever. And I worked probably only with football, but I saw every other program. So it's like, it comes down to it of like, who's a good and bad strength coach? And I'm thinking about this when I'm trying to hire people down the road. And it really came down to a couple of really like things that I could objectively say. Like one, would do they... Do they listen to what you're telling them? I, mean, I can see that through technique, right? Do they look like robots with them implementing the techniques that you taught them? Or, and do you hold them accountable to that too? That's another really big part of it. Do you make them better? Like, right? Are they actually making some net improvement? If I see people just using the same weight, it's the same person and going into a random box gym, just benching the same weight as they're doing every single Monday. You're just spinning your wheels. You're yeah. just occupying space and time. You're confusing activity with accomplishment. And the third one is, you know, do they believe in you? And I think you see it and like, you could talk about this term of accountability. You could talk about this term of like discipline, but if they're showing up on time, if they're doing all the sets and reps, if they're doing everything you're asking to, you could say that you have a really disciplined, accountable program, or you could say they just believe in what you're saying. They actually believe what you say matters and they're going to follow through. They're going to be on time and they're going to respect you enough to go through that process. So when I'm looking at a college training program, and I can see this pretty clearly, like you're making it better. Are they following what you're saying? Are you, do they believe in you? And now in this setting, in a private setter, where I'm working with gen pop people, you know, that like, I think that's still true for me, but it just has a different connotation, a different context. So I go to my staff, like, all right, what can you control? What could you just definitively say you had a control over? Like, eh, probably telling someone to be on time is paying me. That's not something I necessarily want to get on a hill for. You know, granted, I want them to be on time, but at the sake of losing their business, at the sake of making competition for the element of them coming in, like I just had the worst day, got in a car accident or my kids were crying, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, okay, well, what's another thing? It's not that they don't believe in you. They're paying you. They know they believe in you. So how can you adjust that? Like when you get to the point where you can actually go to work, you know, do they believe in what you're saying? Like, all right, I'm going to give my best effort towards this. And yeah, I'm going to hold you accountable to getting better, but getting better means something different. It could mean getting three workouts this week or three workouts next week for multiple weeks in a row. 
And then the final part is, okay, we have a standard of doing something. And if we can't do it, we'll have, a, we'll have some sort of amendment, like a regression or what we call a lateralization. We'll find a way. But the same token, too, it's from this common belief that this is the way we should do it until we can't. And we have a, situa- we have a, a contingency that we can do it otherwise. But it's the same structure, but the same thing too. It's like in both of those things where I have to be socially agile and really good programming perspective, I got to go home at night and go, did I do a good or bad job today? How do I know that? And everywhere I've ever been, I think that's always been my like my edge is like, I'm really holding myself to this incredibly high standard and evaluating myself off that diagnostic. And I'm doing that with our coaches and it gives them confidence and it gives them feedback off that. Like, I'm not mad at you. I think we can improve upon this action. And I'm not correcting you, I'm correcting the action. And how do we get that? And I can make a better system for you. I can make a better place for you to work. I can motivate you and incentivize us more for you to do that. You should hold yourself to that standard more so than me. And it shouldn't get to me ever if you really want to be good at this. Yeah. It's time, another ISSA rapid review. Mike had this to say about the ISSA senior fitness certification. The course challenged me to think through how it would help clients with various conditions. That's great. We're glad you enjoyed the course, Mike. And, and you know, for the listeners out there, uh, you've heard this before and you're hearing it again. Even though Tim comes with a background in education and mathematics and exercise science and injuries and so forth, you're hearing behavior and communication here. Yep. You're hearing behavior and communication because you're dealing with human beings, not just human bodies. So a little something to, to file away there. And speaking of your formal education in all of those areas, Tim, how did that or that experience, that education come to really uh, inform you on your coaching philosophy? And and as you answer that, the other thing I'd I'd love for you to to tie in is your book, because the title of your book is Strike Deficit, Leveraging Ratios Between Eccentric and Concentric Strength. So that sounds like math to me. So, so if you could tie all of that into, you know, how you developed your philosophy and maybe a little bit about uh, how it applied to the book you wrote. So I have a couple of things that I really lean in on. And, and quite frankly, I, again, I work with a lot of coaches and sort of through my website and then through my direct business, I, I work with a lot of coaches. And I think there's a lot of like, I don't think it's. It's unfair because we have a lot of influences from the outside world and a lot of things that could make us feel, you know, inadequate or insecure about, am I doing a really good job? But I could say this, like, there is some truth, right? We can look at, like, let's remove the noise here for a second and let's look at what is objectively true. Principles, right? They're, they're true without contest. Like, if you're going to say, hey, Tim, look at my program. Is this good or bad? I don't know the context. But I know if there's elements in there that I can say should be in there, right? Is there progressive overload? Is there some sort of progression? Are you considering specificity and individuality? Do you have reversibility and diminishing returns? Like our six primary principles from training perspective. Like explain to me how you're accounting for that. Okay, great. Objectively, we got that. So whether you choose this like style or this periodization scheme or this, you know, microcycle format for how many days and how I organize that day, that's, that's up to you. But what has to be in there between all of those fronts has to be there. And a lot of times I get people who present me programs that don't have the very simplest one, progressive overload. I'm like, okay, well, I can tell you objectively that this isn't going to be an effective program when we scale this out. And I think about that too. And on the other end of the spectrum of like, let's say that you're writing a program for one person and you're taking them through that program each and every day. It is really easy to amend that program based off of what you find as you go. Now, imagine you fractal that out or scale that out to a thousand people. Would that be effective? 
And it goes into this idea of law of averages. Everything's regressing to the mean. Where's your mean point? Like, right? Is it very, very subpar outcomes? A lot of people getting hurt. A lot of people not getting as much performance gain. Or is your mean really, really far into the right to high performance and low injury rate? And I think those are the two things that I start just, let's just stop for a second. Like pause. I get it. We have a lot of outside influence. You got this social media, you got this guru telling us to do this or don't do that, or you're an idiot if you do that, or only the smart, best coaches do this. And I could sit there and say, I could put them in front of me. You could give me anyone. Tell me your program. Does it have principles? And if we fractal this out to a thousand people, would what you're saying be true? And if it's not, then we have to come back to, okay, what is the consensus here? That might be a situationally dependent, effective program. And with strength deficit, it's a very niche thing. And we go into this whole other roundabout way. If anyone's familiar with this models-based thinking, looking at there's all these different frameworks and models we can use, right? So I can use a conjugate periodization. I can use a concurrent periodization. I can use an SPP to GPP. I can use a high low. I can do any direction, right? Like you can have me go on for hours and hours and hours. And I'm very competent and capable of doing that. But the same thing with strength deficit. It's a program I used when I was at Army West Point working with football players with very motivated, very, very trusting athletes that I could get really good results from. Now, if you're going to tell me I'm going to be put in an environment with a bunch of high school kids who can't stay focused for more than 10 minutes, <laughs> maybe not the best program. And you go to this, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And you have to look at that. And for me to tell you that this is the unified theory of training and we don't have to worry about anything else would be a lie and I'd be a charlatan and a snake oil salesman. And I'll tell you how, we, how I have progressive overload progression, specificity, individuality, reversibility, diminishing returns, and how it fractals out. I'll tell you that. And I can tell you this is just a very specific program for an environment. But what it does, it gets you thinking. It gets you thinking about outcome measures and inputs, right? If I wanted to get this specific outcome, how would I leverage my inputs? Okay, I want to improve this counter movement jump, relatively speaking to a non-counter movement jump, or sometimes it's called a squat jump. Well, what would we do training-wise? I would do stuff that leverages the stretch shortening cycle, maybe a high, heavy eccentric. Maybe I'll do more bounding and plyometric stuff. Maybe I'll do more top-end speed stuff, or maybe I'll do higher rate of force development stuff. Let's say I wanted to improve the squat jump. Maybe I want to increase someone's cross-sectional muscle area, which is still very strongly correlated to improving force. Maybe I wanted to do some sort of stuff with more concentric influence like a accommodating resistance or strongman. And then I can start to reverse engineer from that two outlets. Am I changing that deficit one relative to the other? And I can sit there and say, I'm running now to this higher level. And one of the bigger messages I tell all of my coaches, I don't care about methods and protocols. I care about outcomes. I don't marry myself to solutions. I marry myself to outcomes. So if I want to change the deficit, meaning that I'm going to try to increase eccentric strength versus the concentric strength or vice versa, by testing counter movement jump that's going to be correlated to eccentric strength or non-counter movement jump, sometimes referred to as squat jump, correlated to concentric strength, what would be my inputs? My outcome is this. What would I do to change that? And then I got to go through the work of logistically, can I apply that? Like, okay, great. Maybe accommodating resistance strongman training is all really good to get really good results from decreasing the deficit and improving non-counter movement jump until I realize I don't have chains or bands. Okay, well, I can't do that. What would I do instead? Could we do a pause? Could we do an overcoming ISO? Yeah, we could do all of that because I have that at my disposal. Great, then that's what we do. And we look at it from the solutions are predicated off the outcomes. Still need principles. 
And we need still need to look at what would be the, the, the actual regression to the mean if I fractal this out over a thousand people. And I say, I got to really be specific in when I use this, maybe with track and field, maybe with football, with elite level athletes at the high training age. Great. Does it apply in some respect to maybe some other sports like volleyball or soccer? Some regards, maybe. Absolutely. We could argue that till the cows come home. And I'm happy to argue that. But I would be lying to you to say, we found the unified theory of training and all you got to do is read this book and everything's there. Like, I'm not a charlatan. I'm not a snake oil salesman. I'm coaching. And I think that's the part too for me. It's like, I'm running off a higher level of standard because I'm right there with the people reading this. I got to make that decision. I'm not doing that with my general population. There's elements I'm leveraging eccentric, eccentric playing. Absolutely. Because I know what I want from it. But it's going to a different outcome. I might want to just make someone look better and feel better. Okay. Eccentric training, concentric training. There may be parts of it, but it's not necessarily the increasing or decreasing the deficit per se. Yeah. And you're speaking my language right now, Tim. And this is a huge differentiator between something like strength and conditioning where it is so specific and general population. You make a fabulous point. It's not that it's easier to train general population. Easy is not a word that I use, period. It's simple or not simple, right? Simple or complex. It's a little bit more complex right? Because you're trying to make somebody from good to great versus from not so great to okay, <laughs> right? And like, that's relatively the way that you're looking at it. Um, so for those, again, for those of you guys who are interested in strength and conditioning, this is the mindset, like all what he just said, I ate it up. I knew exactly what he was talking about. But if you missed any part of that, or we're like, wait, I don't understand what he just said. Go back, start learning again, go back, <laughs> right? Because this is the, this is the, first of all, the terminology, and this is the way that the strength and conditioning programs are made. And they have to be sport specific. They have to be specific to what you're trying to achieve. But if you don't know the skills or the fundamental movements of a sport, you're out of luck. You're never going to get there, right? Because you don't know what the outcome is that you need. So everything Tim is saying, you guys, go back and re-listen to this. The last 10 minutes or so, like this is important. <laughs> He's making fabulous points for you guys, for those who are interested in strength and conditioning specifically. I love it. And we'll definitely link to your book too, because I found it. Um, it's cheaper on his website, by the way, guys, not on Amazon. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a, I, so this is the other part too, which I'm not, I got some other authors I'm talking about, but like putting on courses and writing books, you know, it's hard. It's a lot of unknown and like, it's a lot yeah. of upfront money and there's a lot of stuff that you're like, oh man. And I, I find it like, um, I, I don't know if you guys ever follow like music or whatever, but like, you know, the early 2000s, people selling CDs out of their trunk of the car, their, their, their cars and stuff. I'm like, I can get this to more people at a lower cost if I can just kind of like bootstrap it from my website versus the, you got to print to order if I go through Amazon. It's a yeah. really big markup. And I'm like, okay, well, if I can get more of these copies out by keeping the the numbers down, like, great, I'll just, I'll start just bootstrapping. I'll bring them with me everywhere I go and just hustle and trying to get this book out because I think it's going to be of great value. But same token too, when you kind of write your own book and you self-publish and you try to figure out someone will print it, you're like, this is a really expensive and very big upfront type of money situation. Like how do I mitigate cost here? Like that's a big process in itself. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll definitely link to your website for everybody if they want to check it out for sure. So you mentioned focusing on the outcome. You mentioned getting good at programming, getting good at being socially like inept with people or not inept, adept with people. <laughs> um, and then really focusing on the, the, I wouldn't say the elitism of these athletes, but like what you're trying to accomplish with them. Um, are there any other key elements to maximizing human performance that you found specifically with strength and conditioning, whether it's football or any sport? You know, I think we need to have a higher standard. Uh, we need to re we need to remove subjectivity and bias as much as we possibly can. Not easy. And there's mm -hmm. always going to be some element of that. And, and I think about this as two ways of, 
all right, here's my program. It's nothing really sexy or, or, or like aggressively outside the box, but it's, it's going to be a squat, hinge, push, and pull three days a week with various vectors, various planes of motions, with various like adjustment of variables, sets, reps, tempo, rest, and exercise order. But that's, that's just basically the, the, the 10,000 foot view of what I'm kind of married to and what I'm trying to do to help this big overall outcome of improving people's appearance and then not making them feel like crap or making them feel better. Now, that's all well and good until I actually find that that's not true. And then I have to start to revisit that. And what I've really set out to do is use objective measurement. And if you go into any of my facilities, you'll see force plates. You'll see Nordic hamstring assessments through this product called Nordboard. You'll see a grip test assessment. You'll see a body comp through ultrasound that doesn't use skin caliper or like bioelectrical impedance, which is fine. I just wanted to have this higher standard and low human error element. Mm-hmm. We use light screens with a high iterator reliability. We try to be as objective as possible. We have objectives and OKR. We have OKRs, objectives and key results. If you ever read the book, Measure What Matters. And if you look at that and you're saying, all right, am I doing, am I doing the job that I'm being asked of? And I'm really married to that three-day program, squat, push, pull, and then hinge, right? Like, I'm just going to do that regardless of whatever I find out. That's what we set out to do. That's it. I need to ensure that what I'm doing is effective. And that could be universal, right? So if you believe in a upper lower split or then you believe in a like total body or a single body part split throughout the course of five days, great. Like, that's fine. That's your, that's your choice. But the second we kind of find out, okay, that's just subjective and we don't really know if that's true or not, we should pivot. And we shouldn't marry ourselves to that because that's what we said was true. You know, we're all just scientists trying to reject the hypothesis. I had this thought that this would happen if I do this input or this intervention mm-hmm. until I find out it's not true anymore. And I have all these testing apparatuses to say that's not true. And it's validating and it's supporting. My instincts are right. We have 100% objectively evaluated criteria that's proving what we do really works. And I think that's the part as anyone working in any setting. Right. Like in the team setting, you know, I can kind of get away with really talented athletes and a coach that's just it's just a hard driver for performance. I'm like, well, I don't need to be as good. No one really cares. As long as I got my job, everything's good. I could be in a private sector where I have this really compelling and interesting product that I'm very charismatic and I could convince people this is the best thing in the world. But I'm not really getting good results and people can't stay because they constantly get hurt. I need a higher level to evaluate what I'm doing because I think it gets really murky. When we start to lean in on these other characteristics, like compelling, interesting people or really talented rosters, or just this like circumstantial thing of like being really, really lucky. And I'm like, ah, I'm playing the law of averages again here. Like I want to see objectively if I'm doing my job. So we'll test force stack. We'll test Nordboard. We'll test grip. We'll test frequency. We're looking at frequency every week for all of our clients. We'll test body comp. We test all these things with very low human error elements. And we see whether we're doing is not. And if it's not working, I got to make the collective choice. I was wrong and make that pivot really quick. So I'd say to everyone out there, you know, again, this is going to be the redundant message. Marry yourself to the outcome that you think is the most effective to get you more money, more success, be able to provide for my family, be able to provide for the people that I employ. Like, right, their, their, their criteria for me is paying them on time and not being a jerk to them okay, well, what do I need to do? I need to do the right thing for the collective good. And I can't marry myself just arbitrarily because they don't lose, they lose the opportunity to earn and make a living. And I need to fight for that. And I need to make sure that I'm running myself to just as higher standards of asking my clients and athletes. Yep. Wow. 
This was deep. This was, uh, we could talk and talk and talk and talk on this topic. You're, you're amazing, Tim. Thank you for sharing all that with us. Uh, I'm sure our listeners would like to continue learning from you mm -hmm. um, and your methods, your, you know, uh, what you've, you know, like you said, that you've learned along the way, maybe so that other folks can avoid some of those pain points that, that I'm sure you've experienced. So what is, what would you say are the best ways for our listeners to be able to remain connected or get connected with you, including, I want to make sure you plug your podcast. So uh, the website is called phpodcast.com uh, and it's just URL, easiest thing to remember. And off of that, we have everything. I have blogs I'm posting weekly. We have our podcast we're posting weekly. We're on a cadence of like two a week right now, but that'll be kind of probably one a week here in the not too distant future. Uh, and then we have all the products we have between our curriculum, which I'm biased, but I think it's the most advanced curriculum in all of strength conditioning from the level of it's talking on a higher level. It's looking at this evolving thing. And one of the things that my promise to everyone that is a subscriber is, the version you see today will be different tomorrow and will change every day thereafter, but it's still going to have the common ground or foundation of principles. So each one of our modules, as we call them, is broken up into principles. So what's absolutely true, practical, what actually is we learned from practically applying this, a case study going through how we actually applied it and what we learned from it, and then an interview with someone else in the industry that we think could bring balance to that equation. And that's where it gets this organic, evolving ecosystem feel because I'm talking to new people and we're learning more of like, okay, principle is not going to change that much, but everything else is going to be the body of what we learn and what we try and what we practice and what we come back and say, you know, I was wrong there. I got to actually change that thought process. And we keep growing that. We keep evolving that. We keep adding modules, keep adding things that we want to talk about down in the future. And then it goes into, I don't want to make a commitment to getting this curriculum. Seems like a lot of work. There's 50 modules. That's going to take me a while. Start off with Strength Deficit, the book. We have a course coming out about that as well. So it's something where for everybody, of like, yeah, I don't want to make a big commitment here. Let me get a taste for this with his book, his writing style, all that other stuff. So go to the book. We'll go to the podcast. Go to the blogs. And then if you're ready to get on that curriculum, you know, you're going to enter a community of someone that's, yeah, I really want to find out the best way to train the human body. And I want to make sure that whatever that knowledge is today, I'm getting up-to-date current knowledge here a day, a week, a month, a year later. Yeah. Love it. Thanks a million, Tim. Thank you, guys. Sweet. So we'll definitely throw those links in the chat. And you mentioned a couple books. So offline, I'll grab those names of those books and we'll make sure to leave those for everybody too. Because I don't know about you guys, I love a good book um, and I love to read um, and learn more. So I'm all about buying more books. So I will grab those and make sure they are there. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been a really cool conversation. I appreciate you guys having me. Yes. Dan, any closing thoughts today? Man, that, that was so much great stuff. Um, I, I'm just going to uh, maybe repeat a couple of things that Tim said. And number one is remember that everything is based on principles. Principles are, are truths. Know those principles. And, and then you can mold and meld and create with, uh, as you do that, make sure you have an objective method of measuring the outcome. Because if you don't get what you're looking for, stick to the principles change up the recipe, reassess. I like it. Very true. Um, and that's why we should be living our lives. No matter what population you work with, you guys, it's, all of that is valid. Um, so I love it. I, I mean, I have nothing left to say. It's, it just reinforces my love of strength and conditioning and also reminds us, like Dan says, always be learning. Like there's always more to know, right? Nobody knows everything by any stretch of the imagination. So keep learning no matter how long you've been doing this, keep learning. I love it. 
Well, thank you again, Tim and Dan. This has been fun. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So we remind you guys, go back, re-listen. There was a lot that we unloaded here. We unpacked quite a bit today. So go back, re-listen, enjoy it. And as always, go out there, be fruitful, do all the things and make good choices. We'll be talking to you soon. Yeah.